I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Cast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and today I have with me Stacy Reason and Andrew Wakelin with the IMGSD organization. They're going to share a little bit more about muscle GSD, what it is, symptoms, uh, treatments, and what it is to be a part of their organization. So to get us started, Stacy, would you mind just giving a brief introduction of who you are and your connection to the rare disease community? Of course. Um, good morning, and uh, thank you for having us, Alyssa. So my name is Stacy Reason, and um, I, I should first and foremost point out that not only am I the president of IMGSD, but more importantly, I am also a patient. And what that means is I have one of the muscle GSDs that we cover, McArdles. Many years ago, I met Andrew Wakelin, who you will speak with shortly. And over the years, we began to think about how could we better serve the patient community. And so without getting into too much detail right now, this is how we ended up where we are today. Oh, thanks for that introduction, Stacy. I, I guess I didn't realize you were also a patient. So I'll be curious to learn more about that. Andrew, would you want to just share with us how you're connected to the community and a little bit more about yourself? Yes, indeed. Um, I was diagnosed myself in 1980 when they thought I was about number 50 in the world wow. to be diagnosed with McArdle disease. And um, for the last 15 years, I've been the coordinator for people with the condition in the United Kingdom. Uh, we've got about 330 of us now diagnosed just in the UK. And we think there's three or four thousand worldwide, uh, but it is still a very ultra rare disease. And um, as Stacy said, you know, a few years ago we started working on an international body for McArdles and the other muscle GSDs because of being such rare diseases. It's it's really important to work on a on a global basis and bring everybody together. Yeah, that is a really good point about working with the globe at large and not just there over in the UK. Now, I'm kind of curious, can you tell me a little bit more about muscle GSD? What does the GSD stand for? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll jump in on that one, Alyssa. So what I thought would be helpful to better understand what a muscle GSD and GSD stands for glycogen storage disease it's helpful for the listeners to understand how the body would normally function. So 
in order to perform all of the day-to-day -day activities that we all engage in, whereby we are using our muscles, the body requires energy. And that generally comes from the foods that we eat and more specifically broken down into carbohydrates, protein, and fats. When we eat this food, some of it, predominantly carbohydrate, becomes converted to glycogen and stored in the body. 80% of it is stored in the muscles and 20% is stored in the liver. So for individuals who have a muscle glycogen storage disease, they have an absence or deficiency of an enzyme that is responsible for using or storing glycogen. And so that then translates into a bit of an energy crisis for muscles when they are or in need of um, that extra boost of energy, the glycogen. All glycogen storage diseases are categorized as metabolic disorders. Um, they are inherited most commonly in an autosomal recessive fashion, which means a bad copy of a gene is got, is um, each person will get, sorry, a bad copy of a gene from both parents, one from the mother and one from their father. We cover IMGSD, uh, all of the muscle GSDs, and there are about six of them. And the prevalence for each of those ranges from one in a hundred thousand, which is what McArdle's is, all the way up to less than one in a million. And those are mm -hmm. obviously exceptionally rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So tell me a little bit, what are symptoms then? And I just want to say too, the human body is fascinating. I, uh, that's a, that's a good explanation of what a muscle GSD is. What would be some symptoms like typical symptoms? I think it's easiest to talk about McArdle's and um, explain that the other muscle GSDs will be very similar. Um, th there's very many more of us with McArdle's than there is all the others put together probably. Um, so we'll concentrate on McArdle's. Uh, the, the thing that's spoken about most is what the doctors call exercise intolerance. And we very definitely say is activity intolerance. Because there's a danger that people think, oh, you, you can't go and run a marathon or, you know, you, you're not going to be a weightlifter, but otherwise you're okay. And that's not the case. You know, the, the, we have an energy crisis at the start or, or very quickly at the start of any activity at all, whether it's just walking down the street with your friend or opening a new jam jar or putting some things away on a high shelf. We have this energy crisis, which we have to manage, and it results in, in uh, a feeling of heaviness, um, a feeling of, of exhaustion. Um, then it starts to turn into a cramp and pain, and it, and it can go all the way up to it, uh, what we call a muscle contracture, where the muscle's locked up, can't move, is swollen, mm. and extremely mm. painful. Um, and that can result in, in muscle breakdown, which, which will, has the risk of causing acute renal failure. Uh, and so is life-threatening at that end of it. That does sound painful. Wow. So you guys have shared a little bit about these muscle GSDs. 
Tell me more though about IMGST organization and what do you guys do for individuals? Because it sounds like there is a need for a community with this type of condition. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, because the average patient will find that none of the doctors they speak to have ever heard of mercurial disease and they'll never manage to meet another person with the condition. So the sort of online support and the, and the um, support groups and um, international bodies are really important to try to connect people and support them. So IMGSD is a patient-led international group that's trying to improve the lives of people with muscle GSDs. And we're doing that mainly with um, working with patients clinicians and mm. researchers so that we're, we're wanting to raise awareness to get people diagnosed and to make sure that they, uh, there is good information for the clinicians to be able to look after these people well. Whereas at the moment, you know, unfortunately, many patients get given very wrong information by the clinicians. So, Stacy, can you tell me, are there effective treatments out there for muscle GSDs? And also, how do how do patients manage this day to day? As Andrew alluded to earlier, it can be really painful. So, how do you get through that? You're right. Um, so. One of the things that I wanted to, to explain a little bit more before I get into the treatments, because it's, a, it's always a helpful way to understand the nuances of McArdles. And that's sort of one of the biggest challenges for mm -hmm. patients and for clinicians who are not familiar. So when we think about McArdles, we, we understand broadly that, okay, we can't use the glycogen that's stored in the body. That seems fairly simple enough. But then you start to get into, okay, so what exactly are the problems? So let me virtually take the three of us out for a walk. And okay. so we head out the door and we begin to walk down the street. And immediately, you know, let's say within five seconds, we start to feel a little bit of discomfort. Some of the symptoms that Andrew mentioned. And that's because the body is looking for, for energy through one of the pathways it doesn't have access to. And then for the first eight to 10 minutes or so, it's a bit of a struggle because the body can't quite meet the energy demands. With McArdles, there's a phenomenon known as second wind. And that's where energy comes from other sources. Glucose comes from the liver, free fatty acids. So more energy is available to the muscles. And from that point forward, generally, individuals can engage in what we call aerobic type activities, walking, cycling, that sort of thing. But let's say we're continuing down this walk and all of a sudden there's a bit of a hill. Mm. Well, that hill mm. means that the body is now switching to anaerobic type mm. activities. And those are the more intense activities, lifting heavy objects, static positions. And so what seems to be an aerobic activity now becomes a little bit more anaerobic and then if we turn the corner and meet a headwind even though the ground might be level that wind pushing against us is also anaerobic and makes that aerobic activity more difficult let's say at the end of our walk we culminate at a beach and we're walking on sand uneven ground also is a little bit more anaerobic so it's a very nuanced 
disorder to try to manage. And that's why it presents a lot of difficulties for patients in understanding how to get by. So back to your comment um, or question with regards to treatment. In the literature, it's often reported that there is no effective treatment. And that's true. There isn't any gene therapy. There aren't any medications for patients. But one of the things that everybody agrees on is that improving aerobic fitness is the best course of treatment for individuals with McArdle. So in other words, if they can become aerobically fit, their body will be better able to deliver nutrients. Because again, that continuum of aerobic and anaerobic, if you are more aerobically fit, you can do more things before your body requires fuel from some of the anaerobic pathways it doesn't have access to. So that's one of the goals that IMGSD tries to meet is to encourage regular physical activity. The challenge, of course, is for people who don't have access to a clinician who can properly guide them. Exercise, while it is considered to be the most effective treatment, can also cause a huge muscle crisis in some of these more serious events such as acute renal failure. And so that's what we hope to do is work towards helping individuals understand how to respond and listen to their body so that they can improve their fitness and hopefully avoid situations whereby they're incurring muscle damage. So beyond all of, you know, the, the piece around improving physical or aerobic fitness, of course, um, there's a few other subtle suggestions. So we have a tips book that people um, can look up and utilize. There's some uh, information in research papers uh, surrounding exercise for how individuals can exercise most effectively. There's some comments on nutrition um, and what might help uh, some supplements that may or may not help. But I will sort of conclude with saying improving aerobic fitness really is the best and most effective treatment. I would have never guessed um, what could happen just by going on a walk. You know, it makes me want to be more appreciative for being able to do that because, as you mentioned, that would be tough to navigate day-to-day and manage. You know, am I going to come up to that hill like you had mentioned in our virtual walk that we had or the beach there's just no way to really predict what you're going to run into from day to day yeah i'd like to come in there that um this is a um a problem that everybody with mccardles and the other muscle gsds has that that as children we get singled out we get told we're lazy we Uh we're malingerers, we're, um, we're not fit, uh, you know, all this sort of thing happens. And e- even when the parents take the children to the doctors, when they get into the appointment and they're examined, they look perfectly normal. So they get dismissed as, as uh, then mm. there's nothing wrong. And typically it takes 20 to 25 years from first wow. presentation to a doctor to actually get a diagnosis of one of these conditions. So it's, uh, you know, this this, um, psychological impact is really quite important as well. 
That sounds like it. That sounds discouraging to go into a clinician and to be told that and then to not be properly diagnosed for another 20 years. I just can't imagine that. So how, yeah. can, how can a patient registry then benefit those living with muscle GST? And how can, how can a registry benefit just advancing the knowledge into a mus- muscle GSDs? And I do want to say too, for those listening, I myself learned so much by helping you guys create your questionnaire, things I wasn't aware of before. So that was eye-opening for me. Well, I'm sure, Alyssa, you have... Uh quite a, a depth and breadth of understanding with regards to um, patient registries and the benefits. So I'll, I'll sort of provide what we feel at IMGSD and how a registry will impact us, but we, we'd certainly love to hear from you if, if we uh, don't touch on all of the points. Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, the, the, um, the registry in our minds will benefit patients, their families, clinicians, researchers, perhaps even policymakers at the far end. Um, In thinking about a more detailed overview, we hope that we'll develop a more thorough and comprehensive understanding of each of the muscle GSDs. We'll be able to illuminate the patient experience, which I think is hugely important. And hopefully we'll also empower patients by being able to get involved in this process. I think prospectively, it will identify patients that are available for research uh, projects or clinical trials that are coming forward. And retrospectively, we may be able to be able to, sorry, examine the effectiveness of certain treatments that uh, might become available. Another concern with all rare diseases and of course, muscle GSDs is access to care issues. And so we might be able to, through the registry, understand a little bit more about delivery of care, what's working and what's not working. Certainly we'll be able to tap into quality of life concerns and issues. Um, The information that we gather should be able to also inform treatment guidelines that we're hoping to develop for GSD 5 and 7 at this point, and maybe the others uh, down the road. And then beyond all of that, depending on what information comes forward, it might open up new areas for research that we haven't even begun to consider Mm -hmm. at this point. I think one of the biggest challenges that we have is, is resolving that lag in diagnosis, you know, from childhood through to adulthood. Um, and we're working quite hard on that in, in lots of different ways. Things like uh, articles in a magazine for physical education teachers. Um, we've done an online training module for general practitioners about muscle conditions. And um, that includes just a small section on on muscle GSDs. Uh, it's, it's this sort of way that we will gradually, I mean, probably take another 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we will gradually, I think, be able to raise awareness, particularly for GPs, that when a child is brought in saying, you know, his legs ache or he can't keep up with his friends or, um, you know, the various um, problems like that, that if they would just do what we call a 
uh, creatine kinase is a blood test. It's mm. quite cheap and, and easy to do. And that won't diagnose one of our conditions, but it will be severely raised and will be an alert flag to say there's something, there is actually something wrong that needs investigating. I think that both of you explained it very well why people should participate in a registry. And for those of you listening, if you are affected with a GSD or know somebody, you can go to stanfordresearch.org and type in rare disease registry and complete uh, that questionnaire that the IMGSD organization has developed, and you're able to then help advance research into some of these areas that Stacy and Andrew had mentioned. Um, just to wrap things up today, is there anything else that you feel, Stacy, Andrew, that you feel the community or just anybody in general needs to know or any call to actions? You know, the best case scenario for individuals, let's say we're, we're speaking about McCardles, is that they are able to exercise and they're, they can improve their aerobic capacity and then they can go on to live a fairly normal life. However, if they don't have access to proper care and the proper information, a cycle begins of becoming less aerobically fit, Mm -hmm. becoming more deconditioned, having more episodes of muscle breakdown. And this then leads to other serious adverse events. And it's very difficult for patients who are in that downward cycle to get out of it because any amount of fitness that they try to work towards puts them into a muscle crisis. And then that, of course, can lead to further or other health conditions developing, ones that are more commonly uh, attributed to uh, sedentary lifestyles, so obesity, type 2 diabetes, coronary artery disease. So the problem really becomes much bigger if Mm -hmm. this particular GSD, and and I assume the others, are not managed properly. And that ultimately is our goal, is to optimize the health of individuals with a muscle GSD. It just seems so complex in my mind too, but uh, like you said, if you can just manage it, you are able to live a good life. And I think that's important for people to know too. And so if, if, if at the very end, if I were to say, what is one of the things that I want people to hear about this and perhaps in particular clinicians and researchers is as Andrew pointed out at the very beginning of the podcast there is a distinct difference between activity and exercise so exercise is a subset of activity and individuals with a muscle GSD are impacted by all activity not just exercise Mm. and that's a really big point that needs to be highlighted so that the clinicians providing care and the researchers that are investigating uh, these muscle GSDs can understand in order to provide effective treatment options. So Stacey or Andrew, either one of you, if somebody wanted to learn more about muscle GSDs and uh, IMGSD organization, how can they find your website? It's actually a very, very simple one. It's imgsd.org, and that will that will get us. And then we've got sections on the website for each of the muscle GSDs that we cover. And uh, we've got a lot of information for McArdles, less so 
um, for the other muscle GSDs. I just give an example of GSD 13, which currently has five people diagnosed in the world. Wow. So see that obviously when it comes to ones like that, it's very difficult to get any reliable information that we can put out. Wow, five in the world, that's, yeah. that's really crazy. Yeah, yeah. We've got another one that's a GSD-7, which we think might be at the stage that McArdle's was when I was diagnosed, you know, when they said that they thought there was about 50 cases in the world. Um, with GSD-7, it's reported that there's probably around 100, maybe as many as 200 cases diagnosed in the world. But we think now with uh, better information and, and um, internet access for, for information, you know, that this is going to start to take off and that there will be many more cases of people diagnosed. Because it is really a bit upsetting that these people with these conditions are struggling on with their lives, you know, with, without getting a diagnosis. And very often going back to the doctors again and again and again and doing all these different tests. Mm -hmm. And and so so often they're they're really close to a diagnosis, but nobody actually gets it, you know, mm -hmm. or very few of us do. So, you know, the potential I mean, for instance, on the Cardos, if our best estimate of um, the incidence is correct, there should be seventy five thousand cases in the world. But actually, mm -hmm. you know, we think there's three or four thousand that are diagnosed. Wow. So there's um, there's plenty of work to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, to those of you listening, to help advance research and to help, you know, get faster diagnoses in the muscle GSDs and to just raise more awareness and to learn more, go on SanfordResearch.org type in rare disease registry and you'll be led to the IMGSD registry and you can complete that questionnaire that will help just gain a better understanding of that. So again, thank you, Andrew and Stacy, for joining us today. Any other, anything else you want to touch on? I just would like to say one last thing that with the registry, you know, we really are encouraged that if we could get a, a large number of people, particularly in the United States, because there's there's not very good coordinated care for, for people with muscle GSDs in, in the States. If we can get a, a big, uh, a large number of people in the registry, there's a very good chance that we will get more trials and studies mm. through, through these people. And, um, you know, we've had quite a few... Um, dietary supplements and, and several drugs tried um, and unfortunately so far nothing's been particularly effective but there's another, another one happening right now um, you know and I think over the next sort of 10 years with the help of the registry we could get there and, and there could be a treatment that would really transform lives. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining me today on an episode. Uh, I look forward to hearing more from you guys and where things go later this year. It sounds like a lot of exciting things are coming down for you guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Been great. Thank you. Thank you, Alyssa. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for listening. 
The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chordscast.